G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is made at 3CR Radio in Melbourne, played nationally on the Community Radio Network, coming to you on your local community radio. In shocking news this week, Murdoch University became the first white-collar workplace threatened with removal of all conditions and wages to basic award settings. We speak to Gab Gooding, Western Australian NTEU National Treasury Education Union Secretary, for the reaction from her members. The corporate model for social service has consequences for workers and clients. Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia has decided to withdraw from the 1800 Respect Helpline following a shift to a for-profit business model. We give you the background and how business sees rape as an opportunity. But first, some news from workers and unions. It would appear that it's not all sunny on the Gold Coast. In late July, you might be aware that the cleaners and tip workers working for the Gold Coast City Council had launched work bans because of protracted and failed EBA negotiations with the council. Now, the Australian Workers' Union Acting Secretary Steve Baker said workers had decided to send a strong message that the council's future city proposal was unacceptable and unfair. We have 10 bans authorised by the Commission, that's the Fair Work Commission, over the next two months. This will include water treatment plants, landfill, transfer stations, cleaning of toilets, parks and barbecues and involve parking offices. The Australian Workers' Union described the wage offer of only 1.8% and an additional 0.5% if they sign on the dotted line as insulting and had sought 3.5% in the first year to cover loss in wages during recent years. The Council had rejected all of the union's claims throughout the marathon negotiations, despite the AWU arguing that many were cost-neutral. With the Commonwealth Games just around the corner, the Council anticipate their workers working harder and more than previously, said Mr Baker. The Council is asking a lot of, out of their workers and presenting little in exchange. The discontent at the Gold Coast Council doesn't end with the outdoor workers. In late August, Plumbers and Gas Fitters Employees Union Queensland was warned by the council that the union's paperwork wasn't in order so they couldn't take industrial action. Obviously, all is not sunny in paradise. If you needed more evidence that the federal government has its eye off the ball, the news from the tax office that there is a 285 billion dollars a year shortfall in superannuation payments by employers should convince you. What was that again? Some employers are not paying their employees superannuation as they should to the tune of $2.85 billion a year, undermining workers' retirement funds and breaking the law. Superannuation has a vital role in providing for people's retirement and any non-payment is of concern, ATO Deputy Commissioner James O'Halloran said. Mr O'Halloran said the ATO follows up all workers' complaints of non-payment of superannuation, so you should complain. 
However, Industry Super Australia has criticised the tax office for not doing more to make employers meet their legal obligations. Industry Super Australia has estimated the amount of unpaid super at $5.6 billion, twice that of the tax office. Industry Super Australia said the problem with relying on employee complaints is many employees are reluctant to involve the tax office to investigate their employer because they don't want to jeopardise their jobs. Non-payment of super is wage theft. If it was a smash and grab, the culprits would be sought by the police. The National Union of Workers, the NUW, has been at the forefront of unionising workers in the agricultural industries. They made a groundbreaking announcement last week regarding negotiations with an important fresh food supplier about outstanding money owed to their workers. It read as follows. ANG Lamatina and Sons is a third-generation family-owned and operated business supplying premium fresh produce to Australian food retailers. This has been Lamantina's passion and strength since 1955. The National Union of Workers, the NUW, represents the industrial interests of workers in a range of industries, including workers in the fresh food supply chain. Recently, Lamantina and the NUW entered into discussions about establishing a process to assist employees who consider that certain past entitlements may be outstanding. The process for addressing employees' claims that may arise has now been agreed and is to be overseen by a representative from both the NUW and La Martina. NUW National Secretary Tim Kennedy said this means La Martina employees can access a straightforward process by submitting a claim workers will receive reimbursement if they're entitled to it. We believe this is a good model of cooperation for dealing with employee claims. Dominique Lamantina said, Our employees are critical to our business. They are an essential link that enables us to provide food retailers with fresh produce, which ends up on Australian plates. We value our employees and are pleased that we have established a straightforward process for dealing with employee claims. On Thursday, September the 7th, early childhood educators will be walking off the job for professional pay as part of a nationwide Big Steps campaign. There is a strong campaign being led by United Voice members for government-funded and professional pay. Narelle Lawson will be one of those rallying in Melbourne on September the 7th outside the State Library. This will be our third walkout for the centre that I work at and it's for equal pay. So what we're asking the government to do is recognise the fact that our sector is paid about 35% less than a male-dominated sector with similar qualifications. Numbers have increased from our first walk-off. There was only about 200 people, um, whereas this time we've got 4,000 walking off. Yeah, and it's a national one, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, the first one was just a state one. Yeah, and so you've got people from the ACT, they're happy to be going out? Yep, there's been some from Tasmania as well, which is great. There's even a Darwin service doing the same thing. What are some of the stories that people are telling you? Well, it's really just that a lot of educators are leaving our sector because of the low wages. And, you know, as as a director, I, I do find it challenging employing quality people to work 
with our children. You know, in 2009, the government mandated that we had to work towards with a curriculum just the same as our secondary and primary counterparts, teachers, and um, you know mandated that all of our educators had to have a formal qualification, um, which is great, but they haven't raised our pay level at all to meet all these expectations. So um, that that's why we're demanding, you know, that they come to the party and pay us what we're worth. So um, on Thursday, all of our families will be picking up their children at 3pm and we'll be walking off the job. A lot of our families um, will be walking with us. We, we've had 100% support from our community um, and we will be heading into the city to meet up with um, all the other centres in Victoria that are walking off the job. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. Generally, what our systems become is a system where awards and the national employment standards, which are the minimum standards set by the Fair Work Act, are the safety net. And it's always been assumed that enterprise bargaining allows you to bargain up, you know, to agree to additional conditions and um, over and above that safety net. You know, so your your kind of awards have become the the, the, the rock bottom, if you like. Um, but that you you've got scope if you can negotiate an enterprise agreement to go above that. But this is you know this is basically saying look, you know, um, in these sorts of circumstances, we're prepared to take things that were agreed away um, and and take you back to the to the lower end of the scale of standards. I guess there is an expectation that the tribunal's there to look after, you know, workers' interests to some degree on the assumption that they're, you know, often in a a position of lesser bargaining power um, and that, you know, the use of that term fair, um, you know, sends some sort of signal that that's sort of going to be maintained when it's it's not necessarily the case because the tribunal's... I mean, there's... There's all sorts of different ways you can interpret fair, you know. Um, employers might say, well, you know, that means fair to us as well, you know. It's not not just fair what fair to workers. Um, but it does imply certainly uh, due process, you know, uh, natural justice. Um, you know, I guess we need to be careful, you know, about how significant this decision is. Um it could set a dangerous precedent, as I mentioned, um, but um, you know, is it really signalling that the tribunal is going to be, you know, taking away people's standards that they've thought they'd negotiated in the future? I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it's part of a broad trend for the tribunal to be, you know, less worker friendly or less fair to workers. Um, but, but time's going to tell with that, I suppose. Is there anything else you want to say on this issue? Look, there's no doubt this is a, a really um, significant decision. Um, and, um, you know, I'd be very interested to see whether there's an appeal and whether this, um, you know, whether we see a flood of employer claims to have agreements terminated on the basis that, you know, economic circumstances have changed since they negotiated the agreement. 
and if and if there is a flood of those claims and they and some of them succeed, then I think then we should be very concerned about where the system's going. That was the voice of Professor John Howe, co-director of the Centre for Employment and Labour Relations Law at Melbourne University. Stick Together interviewed him in May 2015. While Australian workers celebrated May Day in 2015, Horizon, Australia's biggest freight company, was given the go-ahead by the Fair Work Commission to get rid of 12 conditions and return to the basic safety net when negotiating the EBA with its workers. The Fair Work Commission said maternity leave and job security protection is not in the public interest because it makes a company unproductive. Sally McManus, Australian Council of Trade Unions Secretary, named the Horizon case as the door that allowed Murdoch University to become the latest employer to portray its workforce by unilaterally cancelling a workplace agreement covering 3,000 staff, throwing their paying conditions into uncertainty and the first white-collar workplace under assault. We spoke to Gab Gooding, WA Secretary of the National Tertiary Education Union. Negotiations started, um, genuine negotiations started at Murdoch in May. Um, Usually negotiations in higher education take between 12 and 18 months. Um, Murdoch came with uh, the same agenda as the other three universities in WA, so they all came with the same position. Um, They tabled the same documents, that sort of thing. Uh, Murdoch was the only one that it took um, a very seriously hard line in negotiations and then seven months after negotiations started, they applied to terminate the collective agreement. What were you guys asking? Uh, The members were looking for uh, a reasonable pay rise, some guarantees of job security, particularly uh, for fixed-term staff who don't have much job security, uh, and some better regulation on workload. By January, uh, the union had withdrawn most of its claims uh, but Murdoch was continuing to prosecute its case for 20 changes that it once made, wanted made to a collective agreement. OK, so can you go through some of those for us? Sure. Um, Murdoch wanted a broader definition of misconduct, which would, in the view of the union and, and most of the members, would have seen uh, academic members who were exercising their academic freedom to criticise the university, subject to the potential to being charged with serious misconduct and therefore dismissed. Um, they wanted to eliminate all the procedures from the agreement that we say guarantee procedural fairness for our employees. They wanted to only consult on change after they'd made a decision, which to us makes a mockery of the consultation provisions. And there was a whole raft of things, including considerably lower pay for uh, student employees. So what we're talking about is uh, an attack on academic staff as well as students and also uh, support staff? Yeah, all staff. They're all covered by a single agreement. So those things about uh, misconduct uh, would also have applied to professional staff, uh, unsatisfactory performance, consultation on change, all of those things also apply to professional staff. Now, their reason for going to the Fair Work Commission to say that uh, we just want to throw this all out and uh, go back to an award, uh, what was their a reasoning? Behind, did they give any reason for why they did this? They gave a number of reasons. Um, firstly, that they uh, were in uh, financial difficulty in that they had experienced a, a $5.4 million deficit uh, the year before. 
Uh, secondly, that they wanted to be able to reset, to quote unquote, reset the negotiations to a lower base. So in other words, to take the conditions away and then force the union and the employees to renegotiate them back in. Having said that they had a $5.4 million deficit um, during the course of the case, it became clear that they had been prepared to commit $2.8 million to legal fees to pursue this case and the union. I think it is extraordinary that a public institution would be prepared to commit $2.8 million to pursuing their staff and their staff's union through bargaining uh, in this way. Uh, and for an institution that claims that $5.4 million deficit is a crisis, it's beyond extraordinary that you would add another $2.8 million to that. Yeah, look, it does tie directly to the government's cuts to funding, but it also ties to the um, philosophy and the attitude of the Vice-Chancellor and the managers. Uh, the senior managers at Murdoch are very prone to calling Murdoch a company or their business, um, and it seems to me it, it's a university that's genuinely lost sight of its the public role that it's supposed to fulfil. The precedent, I guess, of the Murdoch case is not only is it enormous at 3,500 employees, uh, and it's a university, and it's a public organisation, but it's really the first significant white-collar workforce that has been subject, subjected to the same sort of thing that the coal miners in Collie at Griffin Coal or the workers at Streets Ice Cream are being subjected to. Uh, and what we have to do is we, we absolutely do have to do what Sally McManus says. We need to change the rules to make them fairer because the ease with which the employers can just throw out uh, decades of accomplishment of conditions for workers is just wrong and it needs to be changed. One of the things that we should point out, when, when employers talk about resetting the negotiations, many of those um, conditions and collective agreements have been fought for and traded for in negotiations in the past. So workers have given up other things to get those things. So to have them now taken away uh, and not have the things that they gave up for them replaced is just completely unfair. Oh, the um, What sort of uh, cuts in uh, salary will this, this mean? Well, at the moment it won't mean any cuts in salary because Murdoch University has guaranteed the pay of uh, employees for six months. Uh, at the end of six months, we don't know what will happen, but they will have the capacity, if they choose to do so, uh, to cut wages in the order of 20 to 40%, 40% for more staff than at the 20% end. So a very significant cut in wages for employees uh, in six months' time if they choose to do so. And that's the other thing that's wrong with this. That power is now entirely in the hands of the employer. Are the upper echelons of uh, the university expecting to tighten their belt? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Murdoch spent more on um, senior management salaries than any of the other WA universities uh, in the last reported uh, accounts, so we'll be looking closely to see how they tighten their own belts. Are you expecting members to take any industrial action? We are expecting that members will take industrial action. They are uh, very angry um, with what their management is potentially doing to them. Um, we're expecting that they will be taking some forms of industrial action. Uh, and they're just taking a couple of days to, to think through um, what this means to them because it came as a bit of a bolt out of the blue last week. But they will be taking action to try and get management to negotiate a sensible deal over the next six months. What would you like other members of the uh, working community and others to do to help support you? Oh, look, 
the best thing you can do, apart from sending messages of support to, to the NTU and their members at Murdoch, is to get behind the Change the Rules campaign. You're on Stick Together. Union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. So I'm Simone White and I work at Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia um, and I am a delegate with the ASU in New South Wales. Really what has been happening for the entire six years that the 1800 Respect Service has been running is that Medibank, the insurance company, who have held part of the contract for the service, which has really just been to provide the software sort of component of the service, their strategy has been to try and take over more of the service to actually... to take um, the funding from our service, which is a not-for-profit service, Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia, to take as much of the funding as they can to actually take over the provision of the whole service and in so doing degrade the service so they can make money out of it. So our service was uh, once upon a time the New South Wales Rape Crisis Service, so it was set up out of the women's liberation movements of the late 1960s and 1970s. That's how it came into existence. It's always been a not-for-profit service. It's grown as, unfortunately, the problem the social problem of domestic violence and sexual assault has worsened and grown. Our service has grown. And we're an internationally recognised service, like a best practice internationally recognised service. The thing that tells you how much our service is needed is the fact that when we started running the 1800 Respect Service in, or six years ago, we got 20,000 calls the first year. In the last financial year, we had over 60,000 calls, but the funding for the service has never increased at the rate that the need for the service has increased. So what happened last year was that the Liberal Party and Medibank conspired to malign our service to say, well, you're not picking up all the calls, so we're going to have to do something else. And they came up with a new model, which was basically just an excuse to take funding away from us, give it to Medibank, so that they can run um, a triage call centre where they answer the phones and they get people off the phones really fast rather than actually providing a proper counselling service, which is what we'd been doing. And they're making a profit out of the service. You know, we're 100% unionised in our workplace. The problem is the enormous power that Medibank have. Like, um, they just have such enormous power. They now have the contract. They own the contract. The government doesn't even run the contract anymore. They just gave it to Medibank. So we are answerable to Medibank. So we are answerable to that... Goliath um, of a company that the Minister for Social Services fully backs. The Minister for Social Services, Christian Porter, came out and said that the name of our campaign, No Profit From Rape, is disgusting. He keeps using the word disgusting um, to describe the, the, the name of our campaign. But he doesn't come out and say, but you're wrong, they're not making a profit out of it, because they are. And yeah, we're looking at all losing our jobs. You know, our contract runs out at, at the end of June this year, and that could mean that 80 to 100 women are just they just we just all lose our jobs. That was Simone White, who worked at Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia earlier this year, giving background to the takeover of a not-for-profit organisation by a private company, which is financed by government funding to provide a social service and to make a profit from it. Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia announced this week that it has decided to withdraw from the 1800 Respect helpline following a shift to this for-profit business model orchestrated by Medibank Health Solutions. RDVSA Executive Officer Karen Willis spoke to 3CR's William Matthews. Under the new subcontract, Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia would have been required to hand client files over to MHS. Why was this a deal-breaker? Uh, that's, that's six years' worth of counselling notes. Um, women, mostly women, ring our service and they trust us with the 
most awful and personal stories of their life. And we could not betray that trust by handing that information over to a large private health insurance company that's, that's in fact up for sale. That would just be a complete and utter breach of the trust that they placed in us. But there's a number of concerns, the main one being that they can be subpoenaed by defence lawyers in court matters. And while as a non-government organisation, we certainly do receive subpoenas, we always claim communications privilege and we've had a 100% success rate there. Medibank has said that they wouldn't go down that track. They would just hand over not only the file notes, but also the voice recordings. And I'm just asking listeners to think about someone who experiences sexual assault, they ring a counselling service not long after that when the levels of trauma and distress are kicking in really badly. Two years down the track, um, after making complaints to police, they end up in court. They've done all the work on themselves to recover. And the very first thing at the committal hearing that the defence lawyer does is play back that voice recording. What will happen to the complainant is all the memories will come flooding straight back. I, I think it's cruel. We, um, again, unless there's going to be communications privilege demanded on all the client file notes, handing them over to someone who would not participate in that process is just not the goal. Well, we were actually asked to sign a contract that said we would abide by their counselling model and we asked for a copy of it and they said, oh, they, they said two things. Firstly, um, after we sign the contract, they give it to us. And then secondly, oh, the providers will develop that after the contracts are signed. The counselling model that we use, um, we first developed that in 2004. It took two years of national and international research, practitioner consultation and discussion um, and preparation. Then we employed the counsellors who had the uh, qualifications and skills to provide um, that counselling model. We provided the training and then we've revised it twice since. And every revision has taken another year and that's, again, looking at what the national and international evidence tells us is best practice. You just don't develop a counselling model overnight. It's something that takes, if you're going to, if you want to do an evidence-based best practice counselling model, that is. In 2016, August 2016, or, uh, Medibank introduced a two-service um, model where they uh, were the first responder to any call. And as someone put it to me recently, you have to audition first to see if you can get through to speak to a trauma counsellor. So people had to go through that triage model and Medibank would decide whether they would refer them to us. 1-800-RESPECT will still exist. It just will be under a different model operated by different providers with Medibank being the key up the front um, service provider. From an ethical perspective in particular, we don't think we could be engaged with that. The other problem that, of course, we now have is that um, over the next two months, we're going to have making over 70 highly skilled trauma specialists redundant. That's it for Stick Together. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Narelle Lawson, Professor John Howell, Gab Gooding, Simone White and Karen Willis for talking to us. Stick Together is made at 3CR Studios in Melbourne, broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. You can find the podcast at 3cr.org.au. You can contact us at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time. We'll go out with All the Same, a song from Manus Island Detention by Moz. Still in detention.
attention. It's most from Manus, who's a sock in the hell since four years, without any reason. Listen to me for a minute, por favor. Just want you to be aware about what all the rats have done to me. Liberal label lying to you. I'm not terrorist, I'm not perilous. But they have put my youth in the horrible cage for cheating, money, running their bloody policy. So want you to get your shit together and sort out this mess. Or you always be known as Australia's next mess. Help us keep our sanity Remember our humanity I am, you are We are all the same Help us keep our sanity Remember our humanity Abandon me in limbo No worries when I hear sorry from you But you know your silence brings them strength and happiness Your government treats us like animals While the UN say we're not criminals Peter Dutton and Malcolm Turnbull Hang your head in shame It's a crime you have committed in Australia's good day So want you to get your shit together And sort out this mess Or you always be known as Australia's excess Help us keep our sanity 